Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. This is William Zelmer, a contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, and I'm speaking with Joanne Stubbings about an article for which she is the primary author. Coming up in AJHP, the article is Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategies, or REMS, Challenges and Opportunities for Health System Pharmacists. Joanne is at the University of Illinois, where she has a dual role at the hospital She is Manager of Research and Public Policy in the Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Department. And at the College of Pharmacy, she is Clinical Associate Professor in the Pharmacy Practice Department. Joanne, thanks so much for taking time to discuss your article with me. Thank you, Bill. Joanne, let's start by having you give our listeners a brief definition of risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, or REMS. What does this term mean? REMS is a safety management tool that essentially helps to ensure that the benefit of drugs or biologicals outweigh the risk. So the overall purpose of REMS is to um, make sure that that drugs that are uh, released on the market uh, have benefits that outweigh the risk in any situation. And REMS was passed as part of the Food and Drug Administration Amendments Act of 2007. And what it does is it gives the Food and Drug Administration the authority to develop these safety requirements and then to enforce them. So as you know, safety requirements have been around for a long time. Uh, We've had black box warnings. We've had another program called Risk Maps for drugs such as clozapine and isotretinoin. And so REMS is kind of the next iteration of that uh, in that it allows, it gives FDA a little more structure to develop the safety requirements and it also gives them enforcement authority so that if they find that a pharmaceutical company is not doing what it agreed to do in terms of these safety requirements, the FDA can now go ahead and and fine the company or take some kind of action against the company. Okay. Uh, How is a REMS for a particular drug created? Uh, Is it a responsibility of just the FDA, or is the manufacturer involved, or or both in some way? The the answer is both. Uh, Prior to the approval of a new drug or biological, the FDA may decide that there should be a REMS, and they would decide this based on recommendations from the advisory committees or looking at the clinical data, looking at the risk profile of the drug. So the the FDA will come to a decision or recommendation that there should be a REMS. And at that point, and, and this is still prior to the approval of the drug, the FDA and the pharmaceutical company will actually negotiate the REMS. And it truly is a negotiation where they'll determine what sorts of things will be needed to be in the REMS. And it can be as simple as a requirement for a medication guide or as as we know it as pharmacists, a med guide. And the the REMS could require a med guide. It could also require a communication plan. 
which is a Dear Healthcare Professional letter, or it can require a set of more restrictive requirements, such, uh, which are known as elements to assure safe use. And this can be something like a physician uh, education or prescriber education or certification of pharmacies or certification of prescribers or even patient enrollment. So there's a whole range of things that the REMS can require. And the uh, pharmaceutical company and the FDA agree upon these requirements. And then when the drug is approved or even post-launch, if, if the drug is a, one that's already been on the market, um, that REMS is actually then put into place. And the saying is that um, now the REMS are all different for every drug. So uh, the saying is if you see one REMS, you've seen one REMS. Do health professionals, physicians, pharmacists, and others have any opportunity to influence the final nature of a REMS? Yes, they do. There are two opportunities for pharmacists to influence the development of REMS. One is during an official comment period. And for example, with opioid analgesics, there is an open comment period where pharmacists can send comments to the FDA and hope to influence the development of the REMS. The second is to provide other formal feedback upon request of either the FDA or the pharmaceutical company. And the current regulations for REMS do require the companies and the, and the FDA to seek feedback from user groups such as pharmacists. So there, there are at least two opportunities for pharmacists to provide this feedback. Joanne, you and your co-authors make the case in your paper that pharmacists have a unique responsibility associated with REMS. Could you just comment on that a little bit for our listeners? Pharmacists are in a unique position to take a leadership role in managing both the clinical and distributed aspects of REMS. And we believe that there are three areas where pharmacists can and should be involved in REMS in the healthcare system. One is in workload and planning, and that would mean that pharmacists can develop policies and procedures to address REMS and all the resource requirements that are associated with uh, meeting the REMS requirements for any particular drug or class of drug. The second area would be in the formulary system, and uh, the P&T committee should be in a position to consider REMS requirements when considering any new drug. And they can consider the cost to the healthcare system, and they can consider the time and the personnel that would be involved in managing drugs that, that have REMS requirements. And the third aspect is addressing uh, restricted drug distribution requirements. And currently, there are eight, about eight drugs that have restricted distribution, meaning that the, um, the health system pharmacy uh, needs to be certified in order to be able to dispense or administer the drug. And pharmacists uh, should be involved in the assessment of that and also in the certification process if they decide to do that. So the opportunities are for pharmacists to have a leadership role and to be involved in the education of people in the healthcare system and also in the management and implementation of REMS from both a clinical and a distributive perspective. 
Joanne, just to uh, pick up on your answer there, uh, could you elaborate? Are there any best practices that are emerging in how medications covered by REMS are handled in the hospital health system environment? Yes, uh, there there are best practices, and the first one is uh, the situation in which REMS is incorporated into the formulary decision-making process. And so when when a new drug or biological is introduced and the P&T committee um, does the evaluation of that, uh, the REMS should be clearly defined and if there is one for the drug. And the in addition to considering the safety issues related to the drug, uh, the P&T committee can consider the resource allocations, both in time and effort and cost, and also consider education, training, record keeping, and documentation requirements. So incorporation of REMS into the formulary decision-making process is one best, best practice that has been used in healthcare systems. The second best practice is to develop a series of policies and procedures for REMS management. And this can be as simple as the health system developing a procedure for distribution of med guides and then documentation of med guides that have been distributed. And this can be incorporated into the pharmacy system or the electronic health record. And the second area for developing policies and procedures is in uh, monitoring of drugs that have REMS requirements. For example, if a drug requires um, monthly LFT testing, then this should be, even though the specialty pharmacy might be following that, it is ultimately the responsibility of the health system and the pharmacist to make sure that these uh, monitoring tests are done and recorded in the electronic health record. Joanne, um, you've referred to restricted distribution systems uh, for drug products, and we know they can impose an immense challenge in hospital pharmacy. And in your paper, you explain that such systems can either be part of a REMS or can be created by the manufacturer for reasons not related to a REMS requirement. So if a restricted distribution uh, system for a product is not required by the FDA, why would a manufacturer want to use this approach? There are currently about 100 drugs or biologicals that have some kind of REMS requirement. And of those drugs, there fewer than 10 have true restricted drug distribution, which means that um, only a pharmacy that's certified can be able to distribute or infuse that drug. The remaining drugs have some kind of REMS requirements like a med guide, but they do not have a restricted distribution. However, pharmaceutical companies often make arrangements with specialty pharmacies to distribute or get this drug to the patient. And the reasons they do that is to exert greater control on the distribution process. And they call this essentially a retail lockout, which means that the specialty pharmacy is able to distribute this drug to the patient, but not retail pharmacies. Unfortunately, health systems pharmacies are often part of this retail lockout. And that can be problematic for those of us that work in health system pharmacies because we in health systems are usually in the best position to control and monitor the distribution and the safety of the drug to patients. So um, even though uh, companies 
may work directly with specialty pharmacies to exert greater control on the distribution process, uh, we believe that health systems should be part of that process as well. Do you think it will be feasible, as we look uh, to the future, for certain aspects of REMS to be standardized to perhaps simplify handling these products from a healthcare provider's perspective? Yes, uh, standardization is one topic that has been being discussed quite a bit amongst stakeholders of REMS. And we believe there are several areas for REMS to be standardized. For example, procedures for certification of pharmacies or of providers or prescribers could be standardized. We believe that uh, some of the forms could be standardized, for example, enrollment forms or record-keeping forms that need to be submitted to the companies or to the FDA. We also believe that uh, documentation forms can be standardized and also that there could be standardized resource centers for REMS. And currently there are two resource centers that pharmacists can access for REMS. And one is the ASHP REMS Resource Center, which is very worthwhile. And this provides kind of a clearinghouse of all drugs that have REMS requirements. And of course the FDA has, their, uh, has a website uh, or a web portal for REMS and for all the drugs that have REMS. So a standardization of the information that's available for REMS and the process and procedure for REMS would be very helpful. Well, thank you, Joanne. Uh, this has been very interesting having you comment on uh, various important aspects of your upcoming AJHP paper. I appreciate you spending time with me today. Thank you, Bill. This is William Zelmer, contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. I've been speaking with Joanne Stubbings, who is the lead author of a paper in AJHP on Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategies, or REMS, Challenges and Opportunities for Health System Pharmacists. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.